you are being watched. The government has a secret system. A podcast that recounts every episode of Person of Interest. I know, because we made it. We designed the podcast to continue our bullshit, but we see everything. Random numbers of the week. People like you. Episodes the average viewer deems irrelevant. You wouldn't watch it, so we did. But I needed partners. Someone who had never watched this before. Hunted by weirdos on the internet, we record in secret. You will never find them. But, newbie or diehard, if your episode's up, we will find you. Hello, and welcome to the library for Podcast of Interest. This is a rewatch podcast with Person of Interest, featuring two veteran operatives and one newly initiated. My name is Justin, and joining me are my two associates, my veteran operative Jude, and our new recruit, Anna. Jude, Anna, it's been a hot minute. How you doing? I got COVID. Yeah, that's the reason why it's been a hot minute. <laughs> yeah, I've been good, but sorry, buddy. Yeah, I finally, finally uh, fell afoul of it. Uh, Thanks to either my uh, my son's soccer team, my son's preschool, or my wife thinking that 10 days was sufficient protection to go to Zumba instead of 14. We, we got boosted, and then 10 days later, she got sick. Oof. And then I got sick. Thankfully, I don't have any real symptoms other than just fatigue. Like, just Honestly, all kinds fatigue of fatigue. sucks so bad. It does. I, I mean, I'm not saying it's it's... That's no big deal. It sucks. And yeah. For me, for saying, someone. Like, for, even if you're not having other symptoms, as somebody who like, when I got in, I was, I was down for like a month of just like, I don't care about anything. I don't want to do anything. I, life is horrible. Yeah. I'm, I'm struggling with it a lot. Uh, I did. I mean, I, I've mentioned it in passing uh, on this podcast, but I, I did chemotherapy mm-hmm. in 2006 and Hey, Guess what feels a little bit like the first uh, COVID Oof. fatigue. Oof, uh, buddy. And let me tell you, what do you not want to flash back on at any point in your life? Uh, chemotherapy. Uh, let me tell you. So uh, I am not enjoying that uh, particular bit of whole body reminiscence PTSD. I don't know what the right word is, because that's the other part that I'm having a whole lot of, which is the uh, COVID brain fog. Mm. Um, so. Uh, if you're expecting my usual witty repartee here tonight, uh, I may or may not disappoint you. I don't know. Maybe I'll be even dumber than normal and it'll be even better. We'll find out. Uh, so, yeah, that's how I'm doing. Pretty shitty, honestly, all things considered. On the plus side, uh, I haven't worked. I hope the fatigue resolves uh, quickly or as quickly as possible. Me too. Thank you. The, this is like the worst vacation from work, right? Yeah, it's not ideal. Um, but I'm proud of myself for actually doing it. And I will, uh, I will say that my boss is great. And, uh, he caught me answering questions on Slack and texted me, get off Slack, damn it. Uh, and I, I, I really uh, appreciated that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's nice. Yeah. That he was like proactively yelling at me about being on Slack. So uh, and like trying to get me to like actually like relax and chill out. So I thought that was, uh, I really appreciate that. So, you know, that was cool. I stepped, I stepped in dog shit within 60 seconds of waking up today. 
Oh, no. <laughs> so, uh, listeners... Odo letting you know how he feels about mom and dad being gone. Uh, no, we're covering two episodes tonight, which are fun fallout. Uh, they have some fun fallout from earlier stuff. Yeah. And they're high-quality number of the week episodes. Uh, they are not as, like the aforementioned, warm dog shit episode. <laughs> Our shitty Irish hitman Yeah, episode. I think we're in, we're in like a part of the season where it's bangers only, which is honestly a fun, it's yeah. a fun yeah. stretch where like, I don't know whether it's just like they saved all their good scripts for the back half, for the back third of the season or. Well, I, I said this, so I made a note of this uh, in episode, my outline for episode 21. I will also say it here that this is the end of person of interest as we know it. These are like the last two standalone, meaningless number episodes. At this point, we're caught up to where I've watched. I have not watched past the the four that we're tentatively recording tonight. Yeah, we're shit gets real after this, and yeah, uh, past this point, there's I'm even in these, but like especially going forward, once we hit season three. There's always gonna be meta plot. Yeah, but even in, even in, even in the even in the episodes we're doing tonight, there is still that lingering meta plot of the yeah. what's it's, happening it's, to the machine and yeah. Carter and Beecher. Yeah the the gas pedal's starting to get pushed down here in these last couple of episodes, and with the with the close of season two, uh, the gas pedal it, it's all gas, no brakes. Uh, from here on out. If this was a Paul Greengrass film, you'd see a guy shifting, like like clicking the, the drive shift, foot hitting down the pedal in like multiple janky cuts, and it would be a completely <laughs> unwatchable. I, I've been watching born sequels. How can you tell? <laughs> to follow up the uh the Bond marathon. I'm staying at a place with a very nice DVD library. It's just, you know So you know what the natural evolution here is from Bond to born, you know what's next, right? I mean, if it's Mission Impossible, I, that's a step up, and I can't take a step no. up. No, you got to go down. So obviously, what's next is the Fast and the Furious franchise. I'm sorry, that is a step up. The first couple, but not well. Okay, we're way off track. Debating the relative merits of the of the Fast franchise has nothing to do it with this episode. The middle, which is the weirdest point for a film franchise, I think. Anyway, <laughs> why don't we summarize this week's episode? Yeah, so uh, we're covering episodes 17 and 18, Proteus and All In. I believe Anna has uh, Proteus. So yes, that is me. Go ahead. Um, so this one's written on Henan and directed by Kenneth Fink. So we start with Harold and John going to the movies together, accompanied by Bear in his guise as a service dog. It's very cute. It's been quiet lately. The machine hasn't given them any new numbers, thus why they're at the movies. That's about to change, though, because they get six numbers all at once. All but the last are missing persons, um, so they check into the last one, Jack Rollins. John heads to Rollins's rental on Owen Island, narrowly beating a massive storm that closes the roads behind him. Turns out to be missing himself, and not just missing, killed by a serial killer who has adopted the identities of each of the missing people. Harold flies to the island to help John, who is weathering the storm with a bunch of potential suspects, and an FBI agent who is also investigating the case. 
Carter and Cal head there as well, since they weren't able to reach, they weren't able to contact the island with information for John to the storm. However, whoops, uh, turns out that the FBI agent is actually the murderer. The actual agent is locked in the trunk of his car. He confronts Harold and threatens to steal his identity, while John is distracted by a drug smuggler with a spear gun. Cal and Carter arrive in the nick of time to save Harold, and in the debrief, uh, Reese says the machine seems to be working again, but Harold is worried, uh, worried about the long delay and concerned that the machine didn't give them the actual FBI agent's number in time to save him. The physical storm might have passed, but Finch warns that the real storm is just beginning. <laughs> so my thoughts on this episode are, in fact, in an Easter egg hidden in the name of Owen Island. Owen Island is a reference to uh, Mr. and Mrs. U.N. Owen, or Unknown, um, which is the name of the owners of the island, or the owners of like the hosts in Agatha Christie's And Then There Were None, which wow. is a thing that... Wow. like. Like I didn't, I didn't realize that I, I I saw that on like a references thing, but it makes total sense because this is an Agatha Christie novel done into person of interest. Yeah, it, it's it's great. If we were watching television the way it was meant to be consumed in random reruns, uh, aired on a cable channel at three p.m. on a Thursday. Okay, well, <laughs> granting that premise, but continue. I mean, that's the appropriate way to watch Star Trek. That's. That I will grant, but I'm not granting the other, the first I, thing you said. I mean, I think that, I think that's, I, I think that television is best at that point of like randomly flipping it or randomly selecting it in a random episode, or at least that is my platonic ideal of television. But it's sort of kind of like one of the best episodes in that regard because it's a banger premise. Um, mm -hmm. And my evaluation of this episode is so high, even when I deduct points for the bad serial killer shit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. oh hey, we've hit this. Jude, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the only serial killer number. I mean, if you if you don't count like if you don't count like mobsters, psychopaths, em psychopaths employed by the government. I don't think I like if you are paid yes. to do it. I do not think you count. Yeah. At least I can't this think. Way. Yeah, I can't think of another serial killer. Yeah, yeah, because it's it's wild. Because I'm like. How have they, uh, was there like a directive in the office that like we can never do serial killers? They never do it. And I forgot that this one is like, a. it's like it's a pattern killer. Mm -hmm. I But it's better than like, than your usual, it's better than your stereotypical network television depiction of mentally ill people who happen to be serial killers yeah 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 and i think that's because what so i love this episode because it's legitimately creepy the cinematography oh, is yeah. stellar that that it's scene great. that so scene cool. where um where the the killer is like about to confront harold and you see him only in the lightning flashes wow that it's so good yeah it's good the the way he's like polishing the glasses harold's glasses and putting them on mm -hmm. is terrific and the and it's solid acting from the guy who plays the killer to the way that he like completely shifts his demeanor once he's found out it yeah. is sort of kind of funny to me like i i think he's doing a great job but the way he drops into like the most serial killer voice possible <laughs> yeah but... is like it's sort of kind of 
like I, I I hate for this, but it's like it kind of breaks immersion for me because it's just like it's it's like oh you found my secret. It's time to go back to factory defaults. See, <laughs> I didn't. I don't mind it because I felt like it was not so much like breaking immersion as like leaning into genre in yeah. in a similar way. The you know the the rear window episode, right? Um, that that kind of like leans into good, certain yeah. genre aspects, and this one does that too. And like having the serial killer who like you know that who is stealing identities and like you know completely shifts once he's found out, like it works. It's it's part oh, of the yeah. genre, and like yeah. and I think that's why the serial killer. That's why this episode works, and why him being a serial killer works is he's not included because he's a serial killer. He's included because they're doing an episode like. How do I want to phrase this? I think part of the reason why they don't have serial killers in this show is I don't think they had some specific like directive against it. I just don't think they worked in like it doesn't work with the premise. Yeah, it doesn't work with the premise, but they wrote an episode where they needed Mm -hmm. like they wanted to write a scary, you know, episode and they found they found, you know, in this in this episode, it worked in the premise. And so they they came up with a serial killer that worked with the machine's weaknesses. And mm-hmm. I really like that. I actually, I really love how the machine, I the machine is going through some shit and we'll, we'll go into that later yeah. in discussions, but I really like how it adapts and like tries to feed them this information by giving them the six numbers of all the previous victims. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The machine has figured like, out what's going on, Yeah, but it's trying to, but it doesn't, because it only has one way to talk, it's trying to communicate as best as it can. Yeah. It's, it's funny because it's like, this is one of the episodes that it's been long enough since I've watched it that I couldn't remember the bit on it. <laughs> and so I was like, one of my early, God, Agent Fahey is a dick. And then <laughs> I was like, oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I spent the whole episode trying to remember where I'd seen him from. Um, so he's in a couple things. I, I looked this up. Um, the most recent, like the biggest sci-fi thing he Killjoys. Which is where I'd seen him from, because I actually really liked that show. And yeah. I watched the first season of that show, and that was where I remembered him from. I, I will I will give the actor credit. He is very good at like playing like he's very good at being an actor, which is like yeah. you know, able to like do different shit. There was an interesting character thing that I know we had discussed in an earlier episode, but this is the first time I think we see Harold drink on screen. Other than when he's like fed ecstasy. Yeah, yeah, other than that. <laughs> um, like, this is the first time he consensually consumes a narcotic. Interesting. Which I think is interesting because, like, uh, like uh, one of the random dudes offers him a, a, like, a little, like, the most stereotypical, like, flask of whiskey or whatever and harold just like shrugs like what the hell and and knocks it back and i think it's really interesting because i was like i don't know whether there was a thing of like huh that's that's something we don't usually see him do yeah but it was like it's interesting definitely because it's you know usually we're seeing him as a very controlled environment well and and i think it also i think that that aligns pretty well with what we've been seeing this season where he's becoming a little bit more adventurous and a little bit more hands-on like Mm -hmm. that, you know, he was out there on that motorcycle and like, you know, I mean, dude flew a, a prop plane. Yeah. 
and landed it in the town square on what I'm going to assume from context clues was on floats. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, and like, yeah, no, dude. By like, the I would way, need I, a drink I, after that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I do also want to like, we're going to go like play nerd here for 30 seconds, start the timer. So the plane that uh, Harold uh, says that he is flying is a de Havilland Beaver which was manufactured from 1947 to 1967. It is regarded as the world's greatest bush plane. It is heavily modifiable and is like, like when you're like in Canada and Alaska and stuff, um, is regarded as like one of like the main, like was regarded as like an essential method of transportation. It's like, it's this. Is there a relation between the de Havilland planes and Olivia de Havilland, the actress? I have no clue. No, I have to find out. <laughs> um also when you look up a picture of the de Havilland beaver it's like it is like the most like platonic ideal of a propeller plane beautiful <laughs> like maybe not quite at sop with camel levels but like it, it, it's like if you think of like a modern propeller plane that is not a cessna it's yeah, I, yeah it, i've i've flown on some of the like cessnas but which is a terrifying experience. Um, yeah, never. You could not pay me to get up, to get in one of those tiny little things. Oh, the, well, including um, I've flown in one of those when it was like I think about minus twenty Fahrenheit out because um, oh. I was visiting my parents for Christmas, and that was that's how you fly to where my parents live or where my dad lives. So, and those things aren't what you'd call insulated in any way <laughs> no and these are also the planes where like before you get on they weigh you oh oh <laughs> like there's no like they don't like tell you the number or anything they're just like step on the scale and then they like tell you what seat to go into based off of based off of your weight. oh because they gotta balance yeah, the weight yeah. yikes uh, like it's, it's not it's not a shaming thing it's like you know you need to sit like in that position <laughs> To balance it front, back, and side, side. Somebody's out there doing math. In case you were wondering, Olivia de Havilland is the cousin of Jeffrey de Havilland, who founded the de Havilland Aircraft Company. Oh, that's how fun. That's he founded. He founded the company in, uh, I think, 1913. Uh, no, 19. Looks like sometime in the 1920s, he founded yeah. the uh, aircraft company. But yes, uh, I am a, uh, for all he is a problematic fave, I am a, a big Errol Flynn fan. And as such, <laughs> if you are an Errol Flynn fan, you are an Olivia de Havilland fan. Because uh, she is arguably his better half in most of his films. I will say something about uh, cool about that particular flight, though, with the, like, really, really cold, etc. Um, which is that it was so cold that there was a moon bow in the ice crystals. Oh. It was That's amazing. pretty dope. That's cool. And you know, you're right you're right there. You can see it real well. <laughs> I yeah, I'm just not I'm comfortable f- flying on thing with that kind of uh track record. Like I comfort myself when I fly with the fact that like commercial air f- commercial flights are like several orders of magnitude safer than driving yeah. is. Like, cause I'm crazy. And so I'm, I'm an anxious wreck of a person most of the time. And so flying, I'm not at my best for the most part. 
And, but yeah, th that's one way that I like calm myself down is with the statistics. Um, but you don't really have the, the, the comfort of that necessarily with a small aircraft, because small aircraft, you're taking your life in your own, in your own hands a little bit more. Um, so, yeah, we'll not talk about like, I'm not going to talk about how I go into panic attacks. Like when, like anytime we hit turbulence in a flight, um, <laughs> I am. Are, are you the, are you the one that's like scrabbling with your nails against the, the panel at the top, trying to get the oxygen mask to come down? No, I'm the person who like is literally like straining muscles. I'm I'm clenching at the armrest too tightly. Yeah. You know, I just, I just get That's really, Christine. really sick. Yeah. Oh, I wish yeah. I could get sick on planes. At least that I would like have like an external thing because I can't scream. <laughs> That's unseemly. I used to just get high. I used to just take like a bunch of Xanax or something and then just be like a drooling mess the whole flight. But I should do then I had to I get just, clean and be that. like a responsible adult. And now I'm not allowed to do that. Speaking of drugs, <laughs> the way that John says marijuana is truly a gift in this episode. It's so yeah. funny. Like marijuana. Yeah, he's just like he is eating that J. And it's so funny. I I cannot yeah. deal with it. I how is he supposed to present himself as someone who how has he ever like ever imitated a drug dealer while not being able to pronounce the word marijuana? <laughs> I feel I feel like I I feel like I need to blame this on the actor, honestly. I oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This, this is one hundred percent an actor thing. This is a dude who like would say like the devil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Except I think that I feel like the people who actually say the devil's lettuce are like pot smokers. Yeah, the people yeah. who say the devil's lettuce are actually like one hundred percent. The people who say marijuana are are the are the other class. Okay. Oh, the other thing that I like really love in this episode is that um, the movie, the double feature that they're seeing at the start of this episode is Rashomon. Yeah. Or the first of uh, that's such a good, such a good movie. Yeah. Uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with uh, pretentious black and white Japanese films. That uh, I, I don't every think, film I don't think student you can call Kurosawa is not pretentious. No, no. Okay, the film's not pretentious, but every pretent every pretentious film student loves Kurosawa films. Yeah. Look, it's true. You may I not mean, like it, but it's true. Yeah. Uh, Rashomon is a film by the acclaimed, deservedly so director uh, Akira Kurosawa. It is a film in which uh, three different characters present their point of view of a crime uh whether or not that is supposed to be a commentary on this episode i couldn't say i mean i could uh i just i think it's to. more a commentary on finch i think that's probably accurate but it's a dope ass movie and if you haven't seen it you should go see it uh one of the things that i think is truly and i'm gonna go on uh, i swear this will be a very short uh rant we're like not even a third of the way I through mean, the episode and we're at like 33 minutes uh kurosawa films no matter how like old they are hold the fuck up even I, seven samurai which is longer than fucking christ and looks like it was filmed on uh your grandma's fucking cell phone uh holds up 
uh, because the acting is so good and like the tension in the story is so good. I mean, I can, I, I, I will contend to this day that Throne of Blood is is Macbeth, but better. Um, I mean, because yeah. it fix it fixes the ending of Macbeth, um, or makes the ending. I want to say fixes the ending of Macbeth, makes the ending of Macbeth better. Uh, so okay, so hold uh, up. Speaking of the movie, you want to talk about bears? Bears at Kutcher. Oh yeah, um, I love I love that they've like figured out that they br- they can bring bear to the movies if he's got like service dog vest, um, and like you know he seems to be there like to to help Harold. It's it's great. I love bear. He's so and, good. Like of course he's like it seems like he's super well behaved. What a good boy. Yeah. yeah, he's Best not boy. like those people who take their dogs as like assistance dogs, and their dogs act like assholes. I'm looking at every third dog in that in the brewery. I'm doing a tasting at, or like all the dog, all the like emotional support dogs that like pee in the aisle in the supermarket. I I am going to say there are many dogs that are good workers and doing stuff, but there are also people who are being assholes about it. But Bear seems like he's very well behaved and. Um, of course he is. Of course he is. Yeah. He's a good boy. He's a, he's a, he's a a working dog. dog. Yeah. He's got a job to do and he's doing it. He's protecting his, he's protecting dad. Number one. Do, do we want to talk about the Cal and Carter subplot piece of this or do we just not? I legitimately don't care. Here's what, here's, here's my thing about Cal and Carter. I don't care about Cal until he's dead. I mean, I sort of, (laughs) it's, it's the fact of like, See, my my note on this one is, God, this feels like this plot is moving on really slow. And then in like the next two or three episodes, it like ramps up to like 85 miles an hour. Not unlike Cal in that fucking car. Yeah. (laughs) This is a thing that I really don't like in, in like a in television where we are not ready to advance this plot. So we're going to like do this weird holding pattern where people are just being passive aggressive to each other. Yeah. I am like, I get that's what normal people do, but it's like, it's something that like annoys me. Just like you can do like a thing where it's like, I'm not ready to talk about this right now. Like let's at least wait till the natural disasters come is over or something. Like I'll accept that as a way to like push a thing off for an episode. Yeah. If you're not ready to deal with that plot line. But God, all the thing all the times that he's like, Why aren't you picking up the phone? He's like, Because you lost me my job with the FBI. And he's like, But why aren't you picking up the phone? Yeah, it's I don't care about Cal Beecher until he's dead. <sighs> up until until he's dead, he's a, a distraction from Carter's otherwise good storylines. Then he's dead and He's a motivation for her to do really good storylines. Then I do care. I don't like, I don't even have like a problem with the character himself. It's just how like this interaction is going in like this episode and like the next. Yeah. And this, this episode has something that I particularly really dislike, which is the, that they're, they're in the car together and Cal's driving and he like in the middle of this, like, hurricane kind of rainstorm here is like driving at like 80 miles an hour 
it's like the the thing of like he's driving that fast because he's like angry and wants to make a point and i'm like that is just recklessly endangering your life and carter's yes i would break up with somebody if they did that yeah yeah absolutely and like the way that he like slams on the brakes when she like um or at least like when there's like the moment where she doesn't really call him on it but like but like they should be dead because if you do that you hydroplane the car and then you die (laughs) well you don't always die when you hydroplane nor'easter in a shitty cop car probably when you hydroplane when you're going at like 80 miles an hour you probably do that yeah (laughs) we've also determined that car crashes at the universe do not exist yeah or, or like are um only very, fatal variably lethal yeah not unlike uh gunshot wounds yeah. mm-hmm. uh let's move on to the next episode i think yeah. we've yeah i i think we have uh assessed this episode sufficiently. Yeah. overall like overall good agatha christie there's just you know yeah yep and it makes for um, a good halloween special too yeah yep. there, there's not really spooky episodes of person of interest usually all right. Um, so next up, we have season two, episode eighteen, "All In," written by Lucas O'Connor, di- directed by Trisha Brock. Um, so "All In" was a wrestling supercard promoted by Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks. And uh, oh wait, sorry, sorry. Uh, I can see the squirt bottle coming out. Nope, 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 nope. Sorry, I got my content <laughs> mixed up. Um, yeah, no. The, our number this week, well, Leon Tao is here. He is making out with a pig haired girl named Candy when some Nigerians bust in. Um, Leon stole some money from Nigerians. Is there an ethnic minority that he is not uh, stolen from? And he's shocked that they're actually Nigerians too. Yeah, that's Uh-oh. my favorite part. Is that he's like he was really certain that it was like a scam, and he's yeah. surprised to find that it's actual Nigerians. Um, so Bear and John rescue Leon, and Bear gives Leon some kisses. Um. <laughs> However, before Leon could continue to be in this episode, or at least in the main plot for much longer, John is off to Atlantic City for a new number. Lou Mitchell, a retired watch repairman with a recently deceased wife. Lou is a gambler. He is in deep. He also has has history with the mob. However, Lou keeps putting money into the tables. When they do some research, it turns out that Lou has lost over $300,000. God damn. Which seems rather unlikely for a guy on Social Security. What it turns out is that there is a very complex scheme here, where the casino is doing is, is selling drugs and using city, uh, using senior citizens and their prescription bottles to launder money uh, by purposefully having these senior citizens lose money at the table. Lou, is it however, is it wrong to think that this is actually kind of a brilliant way to launder money? It really it's, is. It's very brilliant. Um, like, it's a so- it's solid. Yeah, I mean the the easiest ways to do like la- to launder money is with cash from businesses, so restaurants, hair salons, and hey, casinos. Lou has been skimming off the top, however, by like palming ships off because, as it turns out, he is like a ridiculous card shark and as and, and like has like he's able to do the dessert of magic, which is uh, up close magic. Uh, <laughs> for the like the the maybe three <laughs> listeners of this show that get that reference uh i love you some casino goons come for lou john saves him and lou reveals that the owner of the casino found out he was on a list of card sharks from back in like the 80s 
and they put him to work laundering money. Harold offers Lou the manila envelope of new life, um, and, but Lou says he needs to get his wife's ring back, and he can't leave. Um, so they they pull a casino heist because they decide we want to get the real books to, to implicate the owner of the casino, uh, a man whose name I cannot remember because, frankly, I can't be asked. <laughs> so um, Leon poses a billionaire so they can describe the casino long enough to steal their books. Uh, Lou also turns up at the casino and Lou convinces Harold and John that he doesn't want to just survive, he wants to live. Harold decides to stake him $2 million My God. to lead out the casino. Lou, meanwhile, just decides, fuck it, I'm cheating, and makes off with $20 million. <laughs> However, as they leave, Leon and Harold are captured and taken hostage. After some attempted Russian roulette, it's revealed that Lou palmed the bullet and the owner of the casino is taken out and arrested. As they chat in a diner afterwards, Harold gives Lou the watch that the friends are billionaire gave him. And Lou gives Harold some advice to go to the woman he left. Because there's that whole undercurrent where Lou's good at reading people and can see that Harold lost somebody. Uh, but that person's still alive. Harold, go to her. Oh, back on the back on the NYPD front. Uh, Shemansky has been arrested by IAB for grabbing money from crime scenes. He's been framed to stop him from testifying in Peter Yogorov's trial. Yogorov, he was the Russian dipshit who was back in season one and got arrested. Like it's been a while, but he still exists. Back in the first Elias episode. Yeah, yeah. HR then abducts Yogorov, uh, and Alonzo Quinn offers him to get the case dismissed. But Yogorov has to give HR cash so they can restart their operations. Uh, as it turns out, the tip for Shemansky came from Cal Beecher. Anderson digging revealed that the evidence was planted. Uh, Shemansky gets off. Uh, Shemansky, the ADA, and Quinn talk over dinner. And Quinn just shoots the ADA and Shemansky. Um, Tyranny comes in, shoots Quinn so it looked like a hit. And that all cleans it up. Because magic, I guess. But I actually like really like that. I'm doing a bad job of summarizing it, but it's like the end of the scene where like Quinn shoots Shemansky and the ADA is really good. Yeah. And that's the episode, which I will say like, again, for that last scene, Clark Peters, like Shemansky is fine in the scene. The ADA is existing, is like doing replacement level ADA work. Clark Peters selling the shit out of the scene. The scene. Yeah, he's great. I, I really love the guy that plays, um, Quinn. Yeah. R.I.P. Shemansky, though. Yeah, eh. he was. He was <laughs> <He's> like, fine. <laughs> he was. He was fine. Like he. He was do, like. He was like that cop with a slight accent who like was doing like a decent job and was friends with Carter. So like, like top three percent of NYPD as far. As I, well, yeah, I was gonna say one of the things that's <laughs> yeah. really like forward thinking about this show uh, is that good cops can't survive. Like yeah. this show is very is very consistent in its depiction of all police as pigs yeah it's like with the exception of like if you're not carter or fusco you're either (laughs) and fusco was scum until he met john yeah although we'll see that's you know that's 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 complicated but i think i think fusco still counts as scum he's just like doing his scum things for greater purposes yeah but anyway I like that this show is not copaganda, even though like yeah. two of the main characters are cops. 
this show is most certainly not copaganda because all the other cops are awful. One of the main villains of the show are cops. Yeah. I, I do like um Shemansky's interactions with Carter though, that like I I do appreciate I feel like this says something about like just you know in general, but I appreciate that there's no like attempt at romantic tension between them. Yeah. That they're just like colleagues who get along real well. It's it's refreshing, but R.I.P. Shemansky. Um this this episode has some great some great lines. I w- um, uh, I'm gonna remind you of that statement in the future. Okay. <laughs> Should we headphones it? Sure. Yeah. It's been uh, a headphones. while. It's been a second. So yeah. I'm going to remind Anna of that. Uh, when uh, John and when Car- Carter and John are uh, thinking that they're going to die. <laughs> oh, right, right before right. Carter actually gets it. God. and you have that awkward moment where it's like all of a sudden there's this weird romantic moment between the two of them this is why i drink i say still holding the dirtiest fucking martini so i i wanted to one thing with the with the um your your point that the show is not copaganda and there's there's a line from this episode that like fits into that quite nicely um so Carter is investigating like what what dirt there actually is on Cal. And there's the phrase garden variety abuse of power. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like that's a phrase. Yeah, I mean this show very clearly sells the premise that the authorities will fuck you like that is a foundational theme of this show is that you cannot trust the authorities with power and whether that's the cops or the government this show has a overreaching corporations or that overreaching too. corporations yeah like this show has a a really fundamentally like anarchistic theme that like you can't give that kind of power to people and so i I appreciate that like Shermansky was kind of screwed. He was never going to last very long because he's too good of a cop. Uh, I also love that like that bear really loves Leon. If I can just completely change tracks entirely. Um, Yeah. I love And so my headcanon is that like, because they both kind of came into bear found his new life at the same time that he met Leon. My head. Leon is like a sibling. (laughs) He thinks that they're like the same, the the same like uh like caliber of creature. Like also, Leon Leon is the one who gave Bear hot pockets. Yeah, Yeah. they bonded. That that will win a dog's loyalty. I love was for sale, and I wanted to buy it. Looking down the hall at Frodo, (laughs) can I do a rant about how shitty a game Baccarat is? (laughs) Sure. Oh, that's right. There was gambling in this episode too. I was an international spy. I know how to play Baccarat. Like, first of all, if like it's Shimon Defer that James Bond played, which is an even shittier game. But <laughs> like, like nobody ever hits anything. This like, like first of all, like Baccarat is a shitty game. There's no skill involved. It is 
entirely luck. Like, it's not even like, oh, there are strategies like the blackjack. Yeah, you can't you can't even count cards properly, right? Yeah, no, it's it's a horrible game. It is entirely so rich people can waste money. And like the only reason that Lou is taking them to the cleaners is he's palming cards in every fucking hand so he gets a nine all the time, which like <laughs> if you got that many nines in like a concentrated period, man, casino security will be talking to you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think they're very clearly want to be talking to him, except that John is standing there ready to ready to like, you know, ventilate anybody that bothers him. Fair. Yeah. But yeah. it's still it's just like it's it's sort of ridiculous. It's like if you were doing like a scene where somebody was like doing a high blackjack and they only ever put twenty like they ever only ever put like a natural blackjack of like an ace and a jack here. Like every time and i'm just like this is a little straight straight believability here like even with security being distracted like i'm surprised that the dealer keeps dealing yeah i don't know i dealer probably getting a good tip off that but this is an episode where everything about the episode is fun and fine i don't dislike any part of it i really the number in general i think is very fun and like like feisty yeah it, it's it's fun because you don't ever you don't ever really know if he was if he ever was part of the mob yeah. which i think is really fun because it's just like oh no he was a notorious card counter and then like stopped that so he could become a watch repair man and who knows what the frick that actually means yeah like, was he part of the mob or not but like he is clearly like a very smooth operator and that's fun. I like yeah. that he doesn't cooperate at any point. Like yeah. John is so irritated with him because he's like, here, take this and get on the bus. And he's like, okie dokie. And then just like doesn't get on the bus. And then like Although he gets on the bus, just reappears in the casino. Yeah. I just like that he's <laughs> just trouble. Yeah. And I think that that's fun. The moment the moment where he drops Harold's keys into the lobster tank oh, is so yes. funny. Perfect chef kiss. Ten yeah. on ten, no notes. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think it's I think it's fun. I also like the the bit at the end where he gives it. Harold gives him the uh like ten million dollar watch or whatever it is, and he's like, "Hey, if you fix this, you probably could buy this diner." Yeah, yeah. It's it was uh you know. It was a nice tie back to the Friends Are episode too. Yeah, yeah. I, I I really like that. I was like, oh, a fun little callback, and like I like that. Like Lou's like immediately able to pick up what's going on. It's, it's good. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. This is. I mean, overall, I think this is one of my favorite random number episodes. Like this, like we, you know, we said that there's like a lot of meta plot going on here, but I I, I think this one is actually like relatively standalone, and it's a fun one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The main the main meta plot is just advancing the um the Cal and Carter and HR yeah. plot line. Um and also and also working to get us to where we need to be with Fosco. Oh, I've realized that I we forgot to do a bit here, which is the blue screens. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. What what were they for the last episode? So for Proteus, um the first there there were four in that, in that one. The first one was an excerpt from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. The second one is an excerpt from the CIA's Instructions for Breaking a Detainee's Will, which <laughs> actually 
uh, list the method for Palestinian hanging that Root uses on that government guy earlier this season. Interesting. Uh, the third is an excerpt from The Wasteland by T.S. Eliot. And the fourth is Which an is excerpt from... Which is underrated. I know everybody... I mean, that sounds stupid to say, but you should actually read The Wasteland and not just tell people that you read it to sound, to sound cool and like pretentious. But like, it's actually very good. The fourth code is an excerpt from Project Trinity, which is from 1945 to 1946, which was one of the, uh, which was uh, the code name for the first nuclear detonation. Seems fine. Yeah. Very Perfectly chill. Normal yeah. Very chill, low key uh, stuff. The next one, the next one's going to have like, like grandma's recipe for oatmeal raisin cookies, right? There are six actually in All In. Oh boy. Um, yeah, we keep getting more. Um, don't worry. So the first one is an excerpt from uh, Canto 32 of Dante's Inferno. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The second is a CIA report on the materials and effects of terrorist-based uh, CBRN attacks, which is chemical, biological, radiological, or nuclear attacks. Okay. Uh, the third is an excerpt from Cinderella. The original Brothers Grimm Cinderella. Of course. Um, the fourth is from the account of the official, or the report of the official account of the bombings, bombings of London on 7th July 2005, which was, uh, if I remember right, the, the subway bomb, the, or the, uh, the, what do they call it? What do they call it? The, the two bombings. The two yeah. bombings in London. The fifth is from the DOD documents on the Vietnam My Lai Massacre. And the last is um, an excerpt from the Iliad, the specifically uh, the acts and deaths of Protocolus. Huh. I'm just like, okay, so these go on the wall, and then we take the red string and we connect them. <laughs> <laughs> like you gotta like like what like how did yeah it, it... and the, like it's interesting how they seem to tie in in some extent to some extent to like the content of the episode sometimes mm-hmm. like like that you know the last one had stuff for like interrogation and they had an interrogation i mean not involving palestinian mm-hmm. hanging or anything which is you know good just involving you know rigging a seismometer to a table <laughs> um not sure not i kind of want to like try that and see if it works I feel like there'd be, especially with the storm going, I feel like there'd be probably too much, like, background stuff, but, yeah. but it's TV. It's TV. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. And they write, they even write in, like, how the size the seismograph, like, they're working is there, is they're not, they're not hooking it up to the people, they're hooking it up to the table. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. Which I'm like, that's, you gave it enough of an explanation that I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll I'll take it up. It's and it's like plausible enough that I kind of want to like Mythbusters it, except I don't have a seismograph yet. Note to self: text Scott. <laughs> Do we think Scott lives in Texas? Do we really have a seismograph? I mean, I feel like he's the sort of person who who knows how to find a seismograph for cheap. Fair, fair. And would like know how to rig it up to a table. I, he's just he has that kind of energy, and and 
separate. I was listening to Ed Seven, and like he has a thing. He was talking about this in an episode where he's like three D printing bracket mounts for his house for like th- like room based thermometers. And I'm like, Jesus, dude. <laughs> um, Scott, friend of the friend of the show, Scott Powell, many other creative interests that are excellent, all excellent to listen to. However, um, did we? that we really want to talk about this one um my but the only other thing i wanted to say is that like this is i enjoy the episodes that feel like leverage episodes and this is one of them oh yeah <laughs> yeah that's... it's it's a nice little genre shift yeah yeah and the like sticking it to the casino is is very oh good. absolutely yeah. i also just love like all these old people getting in line for pill bottles that are just stuffed with cash <laughs> yep <laughs> Yep. So next time we are going to be covering episodes 19 and 20 of season two. Those are Trojan Horse and Extremo. Until next time, be seen. The Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share-alike no derivatives license. 